This is UMC. This is a podcast of the Susquehanna Conference of the United Methodist Church. Um, UMC is our opportunity to kind of lay on the table innovative cutting-edge ministries in our annual conference area. Uh, and as such, each of our podcasts features regional leaders uh, to our area as well as national leaders who uh, support whatever topic we happen to be talking about in the moment. And so we're looking for an opportunity this morning to do some uh, innovative and inspiring idea sharing for ministry on the cutting edge. And we want to develop these in a way that they'll be shared widely, not only within our conference, but hopefully across the connection, because we think we just have that kind of clientele and that kind of guest on this podcast. Um, I'm Gary Shockley. I am the Director of Equipping Vital Congregations. And I am here with Gary. My name is Hannah Pratt Sledge. I work with Gary in the Equipping Vital Congregations office, as well as I serve as a pastor at Aldersgate Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. And on this podcast today, we're going to be talking about one of our conference's priorities, which is reaching new people in innovative and engaging ways. And we call that work Fresh Expressions. So joining us on the podcast today are two Fresh Expression innovators from the Susquehanna Conference, Matt Lake, the lead pastor at First UMC Williamsport, and Mitch Marcello, the director of Axe Network at First UMC in Williamsport. Also joining us today is Chris Backer, the national director for Fresh Expressions US. And so welcome to all of you and thank you for being with us. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. Uh, it's great to have you here. And Hannah's right. You are, you are innovators and leaders in this uh, innovative field of ministry, and so thank you so much. It's good to be with you all. Um, this We all know that we are living in very strange times, and what we thought in the beginning of this pandemic would last two weeks is now on, what, the sixth month? And so we're, we're moving into a new reality of sorts. And this is a period of time that requires a massive amount of change in our lives and in the way we do ministry in a very short period of time. But it also, the blessing in it is it gives us an opportunity to begin to think or continue to think differently about how we engage this world, our own uh, U.S. American culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Fresh Expressions, we all know, is one of those opportunities. Um, so, Matt, I'll start with you. What is a fresh expression? I get that question all the time, and, it, and I can't define it in a sentence. Maybe you can do that. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Gary. Great to be with you, Hannah. Great to be with you as well. And uh, yeah, if you're looking for a one-sentence definition, I would lay it out there like this. Uh, a fresh expression is a form of church for our changing culture, established primarily for the benefit for people who are not yet members of any church. So there's a one-sentence summary that you can use, write down. Uh, I come back to that definition frequently. Uh, interestingly to me, that is something that we've talked about for a while, but I'm really struck by the changing culture part of that definition. While that's always been the case, uh, we are on the accelerator mode of that right now in this pandemic season. So uh, again, it would just be a form of church for our changing culture established primarily for the benefit of people who are not yet members of any church. I love that because um, I've struggled with try to, trying to define that in a sentence, and, and that's awesome. Yeah, sure. Awesome. 
Yeah. Well, I think it's helpful too, just to have, at least for me, sometimes just those anchor points, because as we start to dig into fresh expressions, it can become, and there's a lot that we can explore with fresh expressions. It's just nice to have that one sort of anchor point that at least for me centers me again. And then I start to explore from there. So yes, I hope that's helpful. While you're speaking, uh, you and Mitch talk a little bit about how First Church has invested in this movement, because you really have become one of the um, generators of fresh expressions in our annual conference. Research and development, all that kind of stuff. And I've been on site, I've seen some of the things that you're doing. Talk about what this, what this means for uh, First United Methodist Church. Sure, yeah, I'd be glad to do that. Maybe I can speak a little bit to the general organizational side, and then I'm going to ask Mitch to speak into a little bit more of the direct journey because he is our primary pioneer and really leads a lot of these fresh expressions on the ground. So I would say this organizationally, uh, I'd love to say to you today, Gary, that I in my brilliance was thought this would be a great idea to move in this direction, um, but as is so often the case that, that that's not the case at all. Uh, God, uh, in spite of my own uh, ignorance, I would say, blessed us with the opportunity uh, to move in the direction of fresh expression. So just to back up a little bit, we've been engaged with fresh expressions now for about five years. And um, it really came about, I would say, for two reasons. One is that uh, historically, First Church has been blessed to experience a lot of healthy ministry. What we were starting to discover is that all the things that we had done to experience healthy ministry in our culture, as that culture was changing, we found ourselves putting more and more effort into traditional means of healthy ministry with fewer and fewer direct results. Uh, so it wasn't like First Church was tanking or not doing well. We, we were doing well, and we were grateful for that but we were also seeing more and more effort with less and less return. So as we were starting to pray and discern our way, what does that mean? How is our culture changing? How do we re-engage our culture in meaningful ways to share the gospel? About that same time, uh, I would say again, this was a, a God-given gift. We were also working with a seminary student and long story short, he asked if he could uh, use First Church as sort of a prototype for a project he was working on. And uh, we said, sure. And I figured there's sort of a no-lose situation there. And he was working on a course for a church plant, and he didn't want it to be just an academic pursuit. He wanted it to be something that could actually occur. So using our church as a prototype, we began working together. And really what resulted from us working together was one key question that for me really helped move us forward towards fresh expressions. And the key question was this what would it look like in central Pennsylvania to reach a thousand people, except instead of reaching a thousand people in one setting, what if we had a hundred settings of 10 people each to reach a thousand people? So you still reach a thousand people, but in a totally different way. And that one question was really a catalyst for us. In addition to us asking questions of God, how do we engage our world and culture in a relevant way? And at the same time, starting exactly, again, God bringing a lot of things together, having conversations with people like Chris, who was doing work at a national level with fresh expressions. And so that started us on this journey, but I'll turn this over here a little bit now to Mitch and just say for us then, we began to understand and believe that if we were gonna make a significant difference in our culture and sharing the gospel, especially with those not already connected to our church, we would have to do something significantly different, especially not meeting on Sunday mornings in our normal church facilities. And the way that we felt led to do that was through fresh expressions. 
So in doing that, started working with Mitch in particular, who I believe is quite gifted as a pioneer to connect with a lot of those unchurched people and starting to foster community and communities plural in a variety of places in our city beyond our, uh, our, our church facilities. Mm -hmm. So that was for us organizationally what we started to do. And Mitch, I'll let you pick it up from there. Yay, Mitch. Yeah, hey. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's very much been a journey, uh, as Matt has talked about. It, it didn't start um, with a, uh, an overwhelming, uh, great reception. Uh, a lot of people uh, had, had a number of questions, you know, what is this? Why are we doing? And so our congregation, although it's, it is uh, very willing to take risk and, and take steps of faith, there was still a lot of, uh, I would say, perhaps some fuzziness, maybe some confusion, um, clarity that needed to, uh, to occur um, before we really got to, to where we are. Um, and I, I like to talk about it like a continuum almost, is that with this journey, is that if on one side of the, of the continuum is the traditional church, the, what we're accustomed to, and on the other side is maybe a full-fledged, uh, fresh expression that's meeting on a basketball court or uh, in an art studio um, that that really it's actually a journey through this continuum that there are steps along the way for us to understand um, uh, really what it what it looks like and so uh, our church just had to had to take steps of oh well meeting outside of the church facility that's you know maybe a step in that direction and um, and uh, uh, doing some sort of uh, dinner experience, but maybe not fully dinner church, um, building community where people are. So it's really been this journey for, for First Church to the point that we've been able to be comfortable with things like a rugby church or comfortable with dinner church at the Pajama Factory. Uh, and, that, and that has slowly become more understandable um, that change was in uh, the culture was able to to slowly adapt to it rather than be uh, th than to jump right into something that was completely foreign, completely different th um, for them. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that, Mitch. And I loved how you're talking about this continuum that different steps churches can take over time. And that's, I think, a question we get a lot too, is the question of how. How do churches go about this work, that hard work of taking those steps to actually create fresh expression? So I'd love for you to talk to that, Mitch, and then maybe even Chris, you could speak into that as well, because I know there are the circles that fresh expression has developed to help churches take steps. So I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, well, I, the central understanding of why, there needs to be an agreement uh, on a problem. There has to be agreement on, uh, on, on an issue, on a central problem inside of any church or organization in order to move forward. And so for Fresh Expressions, that agreement needs to be that the church has, has not, A, not done a great job at reaching people outside of the church, and B, that we have a, a responsibility, a commandment to go engage people. If, if a church understands and agrees on those two things, uh, you can start considering what the next steps are. Uh, if there's never an agreement inside of a church that, that hey, like, all right, we, uh, we agree that, that there are people out there that we need to reach, but we don't think it's our job to do it. 
<laughs> you know, we think that might be somebody else's responsibility. So if there's never an agreement on that problem, so with like with creative problem solving, that's step one, right? And so in very in in many ways, fresh expressions is is solving uh, trying to help solve a problem that the that the church has had for a very 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 long time, and so. Uh, that would be my first word of advice. And how do you do that? You do that through uh, through podcast episodes talking about this. You do that through dinner conversations and sermons on the book of Acts. You do that through Bible studies and video series, uh, questionnaires about culture. How is culture different now uh, than it was 30 or 40 years ago? And what does that mean about uh, the culture, the place that we live in as Christians? So all of those are really tangible ways of getting the ball rolling to start start getting people thinking about this problem and considering the possibility that there is uh, the potential or uh, what potential and opportunities there are for the church to engage in the next step, which would be considering uh, starting or pursuing fresh expressions because, hey, now we understand it. Now we agree on this. Uh, let's go. You know, we may not know what we're doing, but we didn't know before. So, uh, you know, let's, you know, giddy up. Let's go. Um, yeah. And then, go ahead, Gary. Sorry. Well, I was just going to, uh, Mitch, just follow up. I like, I like the sense of identifying the problem because I think sometimes we try to sell a solution to people without identifying the problem. And then, yeah. why are we doing this? Why, why on earth would we do that? So yeah. helping them to understand um, the problem that we're in, you know, as a church in this culture, as things have declined in the more traditional settings that we found ourselves in, um, answers answers the question. Um, yeah, it not only does that, Gary, but it also invites them into the vision. Um, when you give people solutions, immediately give them a solution, uh, it disconnects people's intrinsic motivation, their ability to connect uh, on a personal level. Um, it's, uh, uh, I wish I had thought of analogy before saying this, but I haven't. So, uh, but, but when you invite people to consider this, you're inviting people to consider, um, how they might contribute. And when, and we, we know that leadership wise, that we want to be not just, we don't want to be the performers per se. We want to be setting the stage for people. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so if we're, if we, as, as leaders and as pastors, uh, inside of these congregations, the more we're able to facilitate these conversations and get people um, talking about this, we're also able to set the stage for our congregation, for our laity, to live into some very meaningful ministry as they consider their role in solving this problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was just going to follow up with that to say, I think Mitch is really right to say it begins with why. Uh, we can't really move any farther than that. So it begins with the why, and really for us as followers of Christ, our why is as simple as anyone who doesn't know the good news of Christ, uh, we want to be able to share that with them. And then to your question, Hannah, once we settle on some of the why, um, you know, one of the things I appreciate about Fresh Expressions is you know, getting to that how question. And I think for me right now, in the midst of this pandemic, it's the how question that I hear most frequently. Everybody is asking, how do we do church in a pandemic world? And what does that look like? And so one of the pieces that's been really helpful for me with Fresh Expressions is a how of getting to what they, how they can be experienced. So you referenced the five circles or five phases, Hannah. Those would be uh, listening, 
And then from our listening, we know where to love and serve. As we love and serve and do that with repetition, we then can have community. Once we have enough depth of community, we can move to discipleship. And once there's enough depth of discipleship, then we can experience worship and church life together. So listening, then loving serving, then building community, then discipleship, and then experiencing church. And what I love about that is in this pandemic world, and I'll let Chris speak more to this because he would be able to speak better about it than myself. But for me personally, those five stages I just walked you through, they were helpful in launching fresh expressions pre-pandemic. But I think those five levels of thinking are even more important now in the pandemic itself for all of church, that if we don't learn how to listen and start there and mix that with the why, um, we're not going to know how to do church. So for me, the whole realm of thinking of fresh expressions has actually increased in this pandemic season. Cool. Chris, get on in here. Yeah, I think uh, one of the illustrations that I uh, like to use about fresh expressions is that it's um, we have to think of it a little bit more like an engine uh, than necessarily like the body of a, a vehicle. And I think in, in our congregational life and leadership that, you know, all of us on this call and uh, anyone listening probably, you know, have spent a lot of time around, you know, anything that's like fresh expressions typically comes across as a, as a program. You know, this is the next program. This is the next initiative that the conference or my local church is trying to do. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that is, uh, I think it undersells in a lot of ways what the possibility and promise of something like fresh expressions could be. Because we've got to think about it as a, this is a new way to power and empower what we do as the people of God. The old engine uh, was the Sunday morning gathering. So that is the way that the church was powered and empowered for many, many decades. Uh, And in some sense, centuries, at least since the Reformation. Uh, what we're saying is we, we live in such a time that we really need two engines. Uh, we need the engine of the people of God gathered, uh, to use Matt and Mitch's language, and we need the engine of how the people of God scatter. And I think the, the difference is it's still the people of God scattering together. And that's the fresh expression side. So we we're in a season where we, the church needs two engines um, to, really, to really be propelled uh, forward. And I think as, as you see an example like First Church that's now been living into this for a number of years, uh, you know, this new engine isn't something that just impacts the people that are in the sort of fresh expressions side of the, of the congregation. It impacts the whole of the congregation. And it, it forces changes in how we think about disciple making and youth ministry and what we do about children. And that is, that is so the case now because one of our ways that we like talking about fresh expressions of church is, is we say that it's simply trying to put the church that Jesus loves closer to where the people Jesus loves are actually at. And, um, and you can take that sort of uh, axiom and apply that to this pandemic moment and say, okay, well, now we have this problem where the people are so distributed. And even, you know, latest research, I think I saw three, four weeks ago, uh, came out from Barna that even faithful churchgoers uh, 
have half of them have not attended an mm-hmm. online service. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the people of God are scattered. And, um, and now we need a, a mental model, a structure, a framework, a way of being together that is going to fit with this scattered reality. And this scattered reality isn't going to go away uh, whenever there's a vaccine or antibodies or uh, immunity in the community. Um, it's going to always be here with us for the foreseeable future. So, so I think that that's why that this why is really important because the why is no longer about how are we going to reach new people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the why is about how are we going to be the people of God as a whole uh, in this new season that we find ourselves in, which probably for anybody listening today will last the rest of your ministry life. Mm-hmm. Well, good point about that. Yeah, this is not a this is not a transition we're going through. This is this is a new world that we're entering into. Um, yeah. <laughs> one of the things that I often hear, I'll just throw it out there. Um, it's not an objection, so to speak, that people are raising about fresh expressions, but I think it's an expectation that I find myself needing to challenge, and I'm hearing that in the in this conversation today, which is. What is fresh expressions going to do for us? What is, and I've actually heard this language, what will yep. be our return on investment? Yes, and I, right. want, I want to scream and, and do other mean things when I hear that because I, the focus is back toward the established church. What is this going to do to help us be the same that we've always been and maybe a little bit bigger? <laughs> yeah. I, I tell you, Gary, one of my favorite ways to answer that question is to just say to people, I think Jesus gives us a great answer to that question. And Jesus says, those who seek to gain their life shall lose it. And those who seek to lose their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel shall find it. And whenever we enter anything that's in the realm of the great commission and the call to make disciples, which is our basic task, I mean, even as a Methodist, right? make disciples for the transformation of the world uh we, we we've got to we've got to say our first and foremost question is how do we lose our life uh for for the sake of christ and the sake of the gospel and we can go to the bank on the promise that jesus told us that if we lose our life we'll find it and maybe the reason that we have had so many years of troubling decline is because we've been seeking to gain our life as a church or, or worse yet, maybe to preserve it, <laughs> you know, so I, what I'm hearing is you've painted a picture of sacrifice versus um, preservation. And when we're in preservation mode, uh, we're less likely to sacrifice anything because everything is staying with us and we're holding tightly to it. Mm, yeah. For the, for the sake of, of uh, old models. Um, yeah, and, and, and then I think I would follow that to say, and we can give you verifiable stories and data on the s- churches that have lost their life for the sake of the gospel, and you can see that they have found their life. But you've got to start with losing your life first. Hannah, I'm going to ask you a question because you're, you're also in a very uh, innovative um, engine church right now in terms of fresh expressions very intentional decision on the part of aldersgate church where you are working um 
to move in this direction to say, you know, we, we've got, it's got to be about being scattered. It's got to be about sacrificing. It's got to be about every people out there, not just those who are gathered here. And I think Aldersgate made some pretty strong decisions in this direction, not long before COVID-19 hit. Um, and maybe that not before great. you were able to move more fully into this reality, but how's that going? How are things happening? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you're distributed now, or at least moving there. Yeah, sure. So um, before COVID-19 hit, we went through this uh, process where we were just really visioning about the future and really felt um, called to our neighborhood because Aldersgate has a really unique context in the fact that it is literally a church planted in the middle of a neighborhood. It was a church, a 30-year-old church plant that was literally started in the living room of the parsonage and met at some different places and grew and they bought this land that the church is on today intentionally uh, before the neighborhoods were built up around it. So it was a real intentional location. So we really are a church in the middle of, our, of many different neighborhoods. And so we had this three-year vision of living Jesus home to home, street to street, neighborhood to neighborhood, of really creating essentially these models of home churches or dinner churches so that we really could be the church, not just here at Aldersgate campus, but have different um churches meeting in different neighborhoods around us, different fresh expressions in the different neighborhoods. So this was the vision we were beginning to live into when COVID-19 hit. And at first, I think it was kind of like, oh my goodness, like, what are we going to do? How does this, can we even still do the vision? But then we realized this model of home church still translates during COVID-19. So uh, we had started getting some leaders, kind of shoulder tapping different leaders. And first they met virtually over Zoom. And we just encouraged them to invite people. And then as the phases continued and it, we got to be in the green phase, some of them do now meet uh, together in different backyards outside and social distance and wear their masks. But uh, what kind of began as it was a part of this vision and then kind of became our strategy during COVID, we realized is actually starting a home church network and movement for us. So we now currently have 14 different home churches uh, with over 150 people connected through those 14 different home churches uh, with the 14 plus uh, different leaders that are leading that. We had a gathering a couple weeks ago in the backyard with the home church leaders and a campfire and encouraging them, pouring into them, investing in them. There's still a lot of work to be done because it's we're just baby home churches. We even talked about that at our training. You know, we're still in diapers. This is still really messy. It's going to you know, grow and develop over time and there's a lot we're still learning. Uh, but it's just been really cool to see, and even part of Aldersgate's story, right? It was a church literally born out of a living room, and now we are starting this network of home churches meeting either outside on Zoom. Uh, so that's really what we've been working on. We also talk a lot about two different chairs when we talk about our home churches. We talk about one chair is being who's your co-leader, your co-shepherd, or facilitator of your home church, so that if your home church gets large enough, it can multiply, and so that there's a leader who's ready to go off and start uh, another home church. And then we also talk about uh, who is who is going to be seated in the empty chair. So if you think about your home church and think about one empty chair, who's basically the next person you're going to invite to be a part of your home church? So there's this invitational model, and we've seen that already begin to happen that we've seen it's way easier for people to connect with a church that meets via zoom or in someone's backyard than it is for them to show up on a Sunday morning so that's been a little bit of the work that we've been doing Gary I'll just jump in here because yeah. I think it's important um, 
you know, I, I don't live too far from, from, from uh, Hannah and um, my kids actually went to Aldersgate preschool. But um, so, I, I, you know, we, we live in the community. Uh, there's a, a massive, uh, large, uber attractional church, like literally a few miles away from Aldersgate, right? Yeah. And I think that why that's important is because a lot of times churches will look at a situation like that. And there's more of those popping up, especially now, you know, that uh, so many things are virtual. Uh, and they think they have to compete in some form with that way of being church. And I think that what we're realizing here in the pandemic is that that actually is probably going to be more precarious uh, as the days go forward. And it's important for, you know, like a, this is a great example of church like Aldersgate and say, we can make a different decision because we're going to reach and connect with a whole different group of people. And we don't feel this need to like compete <laughs> with what everybody else is doing. Matter of fact, it's a great time to do what everyone else is not doing. <laughs> and uh, so, so I think that's, that's the case for a lot of churches in a lot of areas. They look around at what the other churches are doing mm -hmm. and they think they need to do things like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that our, our transition needs to be uh, one of the questions we say is we need to go from asking, how do we get more people to come? To what about all the people that are not going to come? Mm -hmm. And um, now we can look around instead of saying, what are other churches doing? Say, well, what is it, what's it just going to take to connect the gospel to the people in our streets and neighborhoods? Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of, one of my, one of my concerns, we've done a, a great job, I think as a whole of getting up to speed on online worship, virtual worship, those, you know, the technology, even the smallest churches in our conference have found a way to do that. My, my concern, is, and, and they're, they're saying, wow, there's a lot more people like tuning in on a regular basis than we had actually gathered in worship. But the sense was that when, when we have a vaccine and when and if we're back in a building again, we're going to go back to the way it was, back to our former worship style with a prelude and an organ and, you know, all the things that come with that. And instead of doing this innovative thing we've been doing online, which is more streamlined, quick paced, shorter, you know, um, we're just going to go, we're just going to uh, live stream worship the way we used to do it from our space and hope the people that we picked up along the way are going to stay with us. And, I, and I've really asked them to reflect on that seriously about, it's almost a bait and switch. You, you've met folks, you've You've encountered them. You've been you, you've been in their living rooms. You've been um, you know they've they provided hospitality, welcoming you in. When we reverse that, what's going to happen? Um, and I remember Hannah when Aldersgate Church started. I think in year five or six, back when Bishop Mark Webb was there as pastor, and he was very early in its journey. He wasn't the planter. Um, I helped them do a capital campaign for that facility that you're in now. I remember staying in a parking lot looking at fields. And at the time, Mark and I were looking at the field saying, you know, what might happen here? I think there's going to be a neighborhood growing here and a neighborhood growing here. And the thought at the time was, how are we going to bring those people to us? And I love the fact that Aldersgate and its journey is now changing that conversation. Um, Chris, you, you and I've talked a little bit Susquehanna Conference, we like to brag on the fact that we're different. <laughs> we are a unique culture. I grew up here. My wife grew up here. Um, it is a different part of the world. What, 
and you gave me a little bit of advice, but I'll, I'll let you talk about it somewhat. But what do you think are some examples of fresh expressions that might work better in our cultural context than other kinds of things? Because there are a, a variety of fresh expressions. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think one of the unique things about Pennsylvania, and uh, Matt, Matt's heard me talk about this before, but you know, there, there are only three commonwealths uh, in our in our nation, so Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Massachusetts, and it, anyone with any you know kind of recollection of history would would see the the links between those three states or commonwealths. And uh, where where I think that plays out is that uh, everything in a in a commonwealth mentality and this last for centuries is driven further locally, right? So. I mean, you know, all of us live here in Pennsylvania, and we know that we've got the strangest construction of boroughs and towns. And uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, what what there's townships that are not towns, and all these kinds of very unique local uh, realities. So I think this is one of the reasons that fresh expressions may be even more apt uh, in the soil of Pennsylvania particularly central Pennsylvania, because it is, uh, had a lot to do with the sort of development of the, the mentality of Pennsylvania, um, then, then it might even be in a place like Arizona, for instance. So uh, I do think in our context, uh, I think dinner church is a very viable uh, kind of fresh expression that would be very fruitful in many parts of the Susquehanna Conference. And I think some of it has to do with the, the localness of Pennsylvania. Uh, some of it has to do, I think, with the, um, uh, that's, that's lots of the millions small towns <laughs> that we have uh, dotted around the, uh, this, this part of the world. I also think outdoor things, and Mitch could talk some about this because they've done some of this kind of work. I think uh, fresh expressions that are based upon uh, kind of a common connection to the creation uh, are another kind of fresh expression that would be very fruitful here. And I do think house churches uh, would be, again, a very fruitful kind of fresh expression. I mean, even in our own Wesleyan heritage, I mean, we can look back and of all the streams that uh, eventually came from the Wesleyan revival, I mean, so many of them, when you look back on it today, originated in central Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that was really based around a lot of things that were very similar to fresh expressions in terms of classes and societies. So I think there's a unique element that we have that this could be really fruitful in our context. Give us, before we, before we move off this, you talked to me about dinner church. I've actually um, been a part of some dinner churches when I was in Western North Carolina conference. For those who aren't familiar with that, what is that? What is a dinner church? Are people sitting in the sanctuary with, with uh, fellowship plates on their laps while somebody's singing? What is a dinner church? Well, I'll say just in a brief generality, and then, you know, there is a dinner church, part of First Church, uh, so they, they can also jump okay, in. Good. Well, I, first of all, just like all fresh expressions say that not everything looks the same. Right. Uh, there are, there are ways of being dinner church that are different. I, I like to distinguish them between kind of the agape feast uh, from the New Testament era model of dinner church and the house church model of dinner church. So the agape feast model of dinner church is a very public uh, dinner church gathering. 
Uh, it would not be abnormal for there to be 75 to 125, 150 people mm. uh, at these. Um, they, some parts of the country, it works fine for these to take place in church facilities. And in other parts of the country, it's better for them to be located elsewhere. Um, and I think the thing about it is that uh, you're combining dinner and a contextual approach to church in the same space around the same time. And uh, so people are eating while there is a, uh, a sermon of sorts going on. Of course, it's a contextually appropriate sermon. Uh, there's prayer that's happening. A lot of the things that we would normally associate with being the people of God together are happening, but they're happening around this shared agape feast meal experience. Great. Uh, the house church is, is, would be similar kind of dinner church, um, you know, but it just takes place among a smaller group of people in a smaller setting. And um, it's less, it's obviously less public. So I think that in generalities, those are the two primary ways that I see the dinner church experience manifesting itself. I think both are very uh, viable ways of, of going forward. Okay, thank you for that. That's very helpful. How's, how's COVID affecting um, those kinds of smaller gatherings? Uh, Hannah talked about being able to do things outside in the yard or you know, um, being more careful about things. We, we have dinners out on our patio. We have one tonight with a couple that are coming over, social distancing and things. Um, First Church, what, what impact is this having in a, in a positive or a negative way? Yeah, I mean, we're experiencing everything that you all have already shared. So, um, you know, some of the fresh expressions in, in particular, we were able to shift to a virtual element and take advantage of that. And again, I can let Mitch talk about that in a moment. Uh, some of them are able to gather physically with the social distancing. Um, you know, a lot of the things that we have a discipleship pathway that we work on pretty hard, uh, that literally in the... Uh, we were in the middle of that when the pandemic hit. So we switched from gathering physically to then meeting virtually and just kind of kept moving that way. We're just now moving into a phase where we're starting to have some limited gathering on Sunday morning. So we're sort of a hybrid of all of those realities right now. I do think one of the things that we are trying to think through though is it's so easy right now to say what has been taken away. Uh, and I, you know, I understand that there's certainly a grief in that, but we're also trying to say, what are the new opportunities that we're being given mm -hmm. as a result of this time? And one of the gifts is really a wiping clean our slate. Uh, you know, so many things we could not, do, that we used to do, we simply cannot do now. Yes, there's grief in that, but now there's space that we didn't have before. And there's opportunity for creativity we didn't have before. And there's opportunity to rethink things in a way we couldn't before. That is a great, great gift that I would just say right now we're in the midst of wrestling with and trying to figure out. I wouldn't say we have that figured out, but I would say we're trying to view it as an opportunity rather than just a taking away. And so... Okay. And I'll, I'll share a little bit about some of the opportunities, if that's okay, that uh, we've seen. Um, so just to, I'll just rattle off a couple. We have a, a group that, that didn't exist before COVID, but exists now on Tuesday nights that meets with people now across the country. Um, and, uh, and so, and, and that uh, revolves 
around uh, a similar interest in scripture. Um, we, our dinner church is now outside where we uh, set, where we do takeouts. But one of the things that's, uh, that's happened is that we have two individuals that, uh, that they are connected in that neighborhood much more than we are. And they, they both are um, on wheel, in wheelchairs and they, they take, they take th uh, three loads of meals and so they started their own ministry. They they call themselves like they call themselves Meals on Wheels 2.0, um, and they they they've now ta uh, taken meals to uh, every single week. They'll come and they'll uh, come back once or come for the first time, drop it off. Come back for the second time, come back for the third time, and they'll take probably 30 or 40 meals to the neighborhood uh, to the families that they know need food, but they're not. Uh, they're not in either a interested in connecting with the church or b they don't feel comfortable leaving their house, um, and so and then we do we do a Bible study a short devotion or Bible study for about fifteen minutes after they're all done. Uh, we are starting a creativity cohort. Uh, actually, tonight is going to be our first night where we invite uh, people to come and they're going to learn about the theology of creativity. Uh, they're going to be broken into teams and uh, and given a number of uh, possibilities for their team to go and solve a problem creatively. Uh, and those are problems that that First Church has identified as as the needs and the, uh, that the church has or the needs of the community might have. Um, and so we're really excited that we get to basically dream and imagine and be creative with our congregation about what the, these new needs are in the world. Um, and so we're starting to move in that direction. Um, we, uh, I mean, as Matt said, we've been online and doing different endeavors there. We've uh, had diff a different type of connection with our children's ministry to the nursing home at this point. Um, and so there's a lot, and, and we have, uh, you know, backyard worship uh, uh, going on, which is uh, fun and exciting, as well as, you know, the, the uh, you spoke a little bit about this uh, online and the quality that the online has. We, First Church went from doing live streaming, which was probably very minimal quality, fair to say, right, Matt? Um, uh, and so, and now it's really taken a number of leaps or maybe a big leap or I don't know but it's much higher quality on Sunday morning as a result of this um, and that's not something we had considered before and so uh, and I, I believe we're considering continuing that um, I, I mean I'm not Matt so I can't speak <laughs> to that to that uh, degree but I know that's part of the conversation is you know how do we continue this so we can still connect with people that we're connecting with this way uh, so those are some of the ways that, that, you know, we've really considered, we've tried some things throughout this that haven't worked. Uh, we'll continue doing that. Uh, but, you know, we're connected with new people. We, uh, we did a college study hall online at the, because uh, I, I, I'm part of the college ministry. So we did Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, three to five o'clock study hall because, and, and we got to connect with uh, a boatload of new international students as a result of it because they were stuck on campus and they didn't know anybody. Um, and so, uh, so those are some of the ways that we've really been playing around, connecting, doing different things. But we, so many of these we wouldn't have considered uh, or had an opportunity to move in this direction if it weren't for a pandemic. Mm -hmm. 
And Mitch, I just really appreciate how you were able to speak about this challenge of the pandemic, but how you were able to kind of flip that and use it as an opportunity. And I think uh, another question I have for you all on this call is, what are some of those objections, barriers, problems that you hear from different people or different churches that you might work with when it comes to kind of reasons why we shouldn't do fresh expressions or obstacles maybe that you've run into in your own work? And could you talk about some of those obstacles or barriers and then maybe even flip it to see how that barrier obstacle actually became an opportunity. So I'm just going to throw that out uh, to any of you um, on this call. I, I can, I'll start off, but I'll be quick. Um, I think one of them is uh, this, we talk about the scarcity mindset, um, especially around leadership. That's one of the, I think one of the more common ones is, well, if we release the capable leaders that, that make Sunday morning run and operate, you know, they're tapped out already, right? Uh, um, you know, or they're, they're at maximum capacity. And now here comes Mitch and he's, he's connected and this is exciting and they want to do something. And like, and I can, I, I know I talk to so many people where it's like, they're like, I, I can sense that their breath, they're holding their breath. They don't know what to say. Cause they're, they're like, it's, it's tension. I want this person to go and do this, but we really need the altar candles to be lit on Sunday, you know? Is so, uh, so that's a really common barrier, um, and, and it really boils down to we have a system. You know, a, a, a bad system beats a good person every single time, right? And so I would say the opportunity, how to flip that, is to look at our systems and start asking ourselves, what do we need to stop? Um, and that's that's a, a a freeing process. That's a it's it can be painful. It can be pruning in some ways. Um, but as a church, when we start getting rid of the excess baggage, the, the things that we are not essential to us living a life fully in Christ, that allows us to experience open systems and creativity and joy. And that person that desperately wants to go out to, uh, to their mission field in their, in their school that but they previously didn't have the capacity you are blessing them by freeing them from this obligation and so it's it's hard work because we need to take a look at you know like well am i asking them because we've always done it this way am i um are they doing this and and is there is there a legitimate joy in what they are doing mm -hmm. and we have to be honest with that I, I know so many people that they're doing it and it's just, they're doing it because it's the good Christian duty. And I fully believe that when we're, when we, we, we are alive in Christ, that there's a fire in us, that there's, there's something beautiful that's being spurred on and there's an adventure and a journey and that we as leaders need to challenge and empower congregations to live into that. It's not just for the pastors or the staff, but it's for, for everyone. So that's, that was a lot, little bit longer than I said I was going to go. Yeah, you, you said you were going to be short. I'm so sorry. I, <laughs> but that was so important. It was worth hearing that. Oh, it was great. Uh, Hannah, I just, I just mentioned one, uh, one kind of angle here. I think um, the barriers to things like fresh expressions have drastically changed in the last few months. So uh, <laughs> I, I don't hear nearly as much of the, why would we even need to think about this um, <laughs> barrier? <laughs> so 
my, my input here would be what we really, I think now people can start to conceive of this because the context allows them to, what we're really talking about is becoming a new kind of local church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, that's, that's the theme. I know that we have an event going on at the end of the month, uh, end of August with Susquehanna Conference, but that's really the focus of the day. Uh, is how do we become a new kind of local church? First church is becoming a new kind of local church. And I think that what what people have to really settle in with at this moment is uh, we've just had uh, churches, and Gary, you mentioned it already, uh, made changes that probably we would never have expected. You know, there's churches that were hesitant to to get online or to do, you know, do anything different. They found out that they could actually make the change in a few weeks. Uh, the reason they felt they make the change is because they had to in order to survive. And I, I actually think that's a great gift. And it, it reminds us of something that sometimes we as church leaders, because we tend to lean towards idealism, do not want to remember, is that fear of loss uh, and the need to survive is a far greater motivator at the beginning of something. Um, than it is to lead with optimism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we churches have just seen they can change because they felt an immediate sense of needing to survive. And I think that we need to remind them that the way that you will survive into the future is by continuing the same path you've already done. And if you revert, you likely will not. <laughs> and um, so I think that we can help overcome some of those barriers by reminding them you have done this. Um, you just need to extend it and continue with it. Uh, let's imagine if you had not made a change, what would, a, would your church still be here today if you had not made a change in the end, by the end of March? Uh, and I think it's pretty good assessment. A lot of churches would not be around if they had not adjusted to the context. Right. And that's really what we're talking about. Well, yeah, and you mentioned you mentioned fear, and you mentioned loss, and right now we are in a uh, you know co- collective state of of loss and grieving. Loss equals grief, and yeah. part of it is how do we how do we care for folks? Or caring maybe is not the right word. How do we walk alongside them for them to understand what it is that's been lost, to grieve that, and be able to let it go? Because it's hard to let go of something unless you grieve it. Yeah. So that work has to happen in the midst of this transition that we're in too. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff I see that that's bubbling up from our congregations, putting a lot of pressure on pastors and leaders mm. that comes from a place of grief. And if we can understand that and, mm. and say, oh, I know where that's coming from. It's yeah. not coming from a lack of faith. It's not coming from resistance to God. It's not coming from an understanding of need to do a new thing. It's coming from loss. Yeah. And, um, and, and it sounds to me like the fresh expressions, as you all talked about them, provide a great relational form of caring where people can be honest about that and maybe process some of that in a fresh expressions kind of setting. Um, so we have we just have a couple of minutes. Uh, it's, we're at the 45 minute mark. And I do want to give some time, Chris, for you to talk about this thing called a vision day. I've been to one. I know they happen you know, across the United States. Uh, Normally they're gathered, but this is going to be a virtual event here for the Susquehanna Conference. Can you talk about that on August the 28th, 2020, a little bit about what a virtual, what a vision day is and what people might expect? 
Yeah, yeah. And so this one is will be, uh, if, if someone maybe attended another one another time, this one will be slightly different because we're in a different season. And uh, so again, I think the focus of the upcoming Vision Day is best described around what does it look like to become a new kind of local church? And and how what is what is what does that look like? How would we begin to move into it? And um, you know, again, Matt is going to be part of helping lead that day, along with uh, Michael Beck, who's a pastor in Florida. And um, it's going to give people a vision for uh, if you begin on this journey, how what how can you get there? How can you get down the road on becoming a new kind uh, of a local church? And Matt Matt can probably jump in here and just add a few few thoughts for people, uh, knowing again, the Susquehanna conference, why it might be really important for people to Good. find a way. Sure. I mean, we've talked about a lot of those elements already, but I think really it's obvious that in this pandemic season, we're all kind of trying to figure this out together. And I mean, I, one of the things I'd want to touch on to, I think was Hannah's original question as well, when we're talking about objections or barriers, I think even though there, Chris alluded to the fact that we're open in a way right now, we never have been. But at the same time, I do think there's an institutional memory or even an institutional reflex that if we're not careful, as soon as some of the pressure of survival starts to alleviate in any way, we will want to flex back. And so I think some of the value of this, this particular vision day is to hopefully not help, it should, let me back up, to help us not reflex back. Um, and one of the things that's really interesting to me in that is, I think for a lot of folks, there's this barrier in our minds. We've almost trained ourselves to think, Fresh Expressions is, you know, church JV or church light. It's not real church kind of thing. And one of the gifts or opportunities I've discovered with churches is that by digging more carefully into scripture, and especially the book of Acts and what the church looked like, and then even a lot of times for an own, their own local church, if a church goes back and looks at its original roots, it's amazing how many times there was such innovation and creativity in the very birth of the church they're now a part of generations later, but have lost that creativity, awareness of context, etc. And so there's a gift to rediscover that even in our own local church histories and then in the wider church, historically, the biblical book of Acts. So part of my hope uh, with this is not just for the Susquehanna Conference, but really all of us re-examining what it means to be a local church in this day and age. And again, the opportunities God gives us. It's not unique to Susquehanna, but I think we all need, myself included, reminders of the good opportunities God is giving us. And I hope and pray that you know the day that we have together as a Susquehanna Conference around this idea will reinvigorate and again, give us a sense of optimism about what God is up to. Man, that's, and that is a great place for us to end. How do we become a new kind of local church? And an answer to that question is by, by considering fresh expressions and moving into uh, the new thing, which is an old thing that God has been doing. But we have an opportunity to do that. So hopefully the, vision, the uh, virtual vision day here in this conference will be just filled with eager people to learn that. But thank you all for your calling and your leadership in this incredible movement of God um, within our culture and within our annual conference. Uh, we appreciate you all being here. This, is, uh, this has been a UMCSEE podcast of the Susquehanna Conference of the United Methodist Church. And we're grateful that you tuned in. And until next time, thanks and take care.